Hey there, and welcome back. I'm called Adrian. In this one, I'm so excited because I get to interview Dawn Lester and David Parker, who spent 10 years researching, cross-referencing, and putting together an amazing book called What Really Makes You Ill? Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Is Wrong. Now, I've wanted to interview them for a little while, and we managed to get that done today, but not without problems. We had no end of technical issues, which is unusual. I know that the internet and the systems are under a lot of load right now. Uh, we had Zoom lockout twice, completely to the point we could no longer use it. And we had Skype also lockout partway through as well. So this is not the best edit I've done. In addition, we had some weird things going on with the sound as well. That may have been my doing, I don't know. Uh, I've managed to do as much as I can in post-production to sort the sound out. But if you can bear with that, there are some real pieces of uh, gems, if you will, in this uh, interview. And there's some really good stuff as well when we talk about how uh, the scientists, if you will, scientism right now reigns supreme and it's not scientific analysis really in any way, shape or form anymore. So we cover that ground as well. So I would encourage you, if you have a level of interest in your health, that you might want to go grab yourself a cup of your favorite beverage or a glass of it and settle back, maybe want to make some notes, and just have a listen to this uh, amazing interview. Uh, and one of the other technical problems we had, by the way, was I don't fully understand Skype because we never really used it. So you will see me in a little tiny box in the corner, which is fine because this show is all about David and Dawn in any case. Now, you guys are amazing. In the description of this video and in the first comment, there will be links to Dawn and David's website and also where you can buy their book. Now that will be an affiliate link, it's not going to cost you any more, but I will make a few pennies off that, or you can buy it directly off their site, which would be probably the same link, I guess. Anyway, you guys are absolutely amazing, and I'm looking forward so much to seeing you in the next video. Enjoy this, take care of yourselves, bye-bye. The floor is yours for the third time, hopefully working time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, well, um, I'll... I'll... I'll start, by t I'll start by telling you a little bit about ourselves and uh, how we got into this, um, uh, how we came to write this uh, huge book, uh, <laughs> What Really Makes You Ill, uh, Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Is Wrong, you know, which is a very challenging title. Um, but it summarizes where Dawn and I started when we, we started looking at the medical system because the other book uh, that we were writing at the time, which was about the nature of reality, yeah. And we were writing that under a pen name called NOR, mm -hmm. uh, stands for the nature of reality. Um, and we we came to a chapter which where we needed to uh, find out some more information about viruses and health. Um, and up until that time, uh, we believed what everyone else believed, um, that germs of one sort or another make you ill, uh, vaccinations are good for you, mm -hmm. and... Uh, the medical system is based on science. Um, and we found through our research of 10 years that none of that was true, which was a great shock um, as we came to it. we uh, I mean, the first thing we looked at when we were looking at viruses, um, purely by chance, we came across the HIV AIDS uh, controversy. And at the time, we didn't even know it was a controversy. We, we just believed everything that we were told by the mainstream media and the medical establishment, that there was this uh, uh, new disease um, starting in San Francisco with a group of homosexual men, but it was now going to spread around the world and spread into the heterosexual community, and millions, millions, literally, of people were going to die from it worldwide. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, and there was all sorts of horror stories and uh, the media were putting out videos of lots of tombstones and oh, it was horrendous, uh, yeah. anyone who lived through all that. Yeah. Um, so when we started looking at it, um, we started to find out that there were quite a lot of dissenting voices, professional people, you know, professors and doctors and scientists that were saying this isn't true. Mm. So we sort of thought, okay, we need to investigate this. So, putting a very long story short, I mean, we do detail it all in our book, we're soon able to see that, in actual fact, there was no scientific evidence for a virus uh, causing AIDS, and that the actual causes were relatively straightforward. Um, this small, as it started, small community in San Francisco uh, of homosexual men, it was to do with lifestyle. Uh, I don't mean the fact that they were homosexual, it was nothing to do with that at all. Uh, it was to do with the fact that they used uh, a lot of recreational drugs, in particular poppers, as they were known, which is uh, amyl nitrate. Mm -hmm. uh, very toxic, but um, people get high on it, but it's, it's actually extremely toxic to the body. Mm. So it was making them ill. Uh, they were then going to their doctors, who uh, were then giving them high-dose antibiotics. Um, so another load of toxins, which just actually made them more ill. Mm -hmm. Um, and the doctors thought that they were looking at some new disease. Mm -hmm. um, so they started to treat them with other toxic drugs. So the main one at the time was a AZT, mm -hmm. which was actually a chemotherapy drug. <laughs> but they just thought, well, we'll try it out. As we found doctors do from yeah. time to time, just try some drug out, which uh, is sort of on the shelf. Yeah. <clears throat> so they tried out AZT, and as we learned from other doctors, some German doctors actually, that uh, the high dose of AZT that they were giving to people killed everyone. They all died. And this is including people like Freddie Mercury and Rudolf Nureyev, the ballet dancer, Arthur Ashe, the tennis player. So everyone who took this AZT, the dose they originally gave out, they all died. But of course it was very convenient to blame it on AIDS itself, but uh, that wasn't the case. So we also came across for the first time the work of uh, Carrie Mollis, whose name crops up a lot now. Yeah. And he's the inventor of the PCR test. And at the time, uh, again, they were using his PCR test to supposedly diagnose whether people had got HIV or not. And he was very uh, outspoken at saying, this is not what my test is for. It's a... It's for amplification of uh, genetic material. It's, it's not for diagnosing a disease. It's not for detecting whether you've got a particular virus in your system. And he was very vocal about that. Yeah. Uh, but he also, like us, looked for the scientific papers um, to prove that a virus was the actual cause. And uh, again, he's on public record as saying those papers don't exist, um, which is remarkable considering that people like Robert Gallo have made a fortune out of it, of uh, saying that he did discover the virus and uh, he's sort of got the patent on uh, the supposed uh, treatments for it. But I'm cutting a long story short, but um, it's all on public record now and we, and we do discuss it in the book, which is a complete fallacy. There was no virus, there is no virus. The PCR test is not meant to well, detect it's not a test, it. Is it? It, no, he doesn't detest for that, uh, detect for things like that at all. But that didn't deter the establishment from using it. Because yeah. obviously, like now, with the coronavirus nonsense, 
uh, it ser- serves their purpose, mm. but gives all sorts of false information. Mm. Yes, there are quite a few parallels uh, with the HIV AIDS story with what's going on now. So uh, I think you know more and more people are becoming aware of that. But uh, you know, certainly using a, a meaningless test to detect something. Um, that it's never meant to detect is uh, yeah is certainly one of the big um, one of the big uh, similarities really. Yeah. So that that was a big wake up call for us. We we were obviously quite shocked by it. Yeah. And uh, I remember Dawn and I saying to one another after we'd looked at this for quite some time, we went to all sorts of meetings. We met HIV positive people. We talked to discussion groups. We talked to doctors. We spent a lot of time mm-hmm. because we could barely believe what we were finding yeah. because it was completely contrary to everything the medical establishment officially and the media in particular was saying and the government. Yeah. And exactly, exactly the situation we have now. But the truth is, there are, there is no science behind it and there is no virus behind it. So we were shocked and we decided, well, if they were so wrong about this, what else are they wrong about? And that was the start of going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> that opens up a can of worms. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I mean, talk about peeling away the onion layers. I mean, it's just amazing. But, you know, we had to actually look at other diseases supposedly caused by viruses I mean because at the time we were looking at viruses just to see because we kept saying well what about what about this disease what about that disease and and that's what we did we we thought well what we'll do is we'll pick on all the most popular diseases that everyone knows whether it's tuberculosis or um, anything you could think of really Mm -hmm. Um, but we confined ourselves to viruses to start with but it didn't matter which one we looked at. Whenever we sort of kept digging back to find out if there was any scientific papers, any proper evidence, scientific evidence to prove that a virus was the cause of that disease, it, it was never there. Mm-hmm. There was never any scientific papers there, and that's true today. And it's obviously certainly true of this coronavirus. We've looked for those as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not there, and th- and they should be. They should be a matter of public record because, uh, as you can imagine, if someone like a Robert Gallo uh, can actually discover some new virus or can discover the cause of a, a particular disease, mm-hmm. then you know it's uh, very prestigious. You know, there's big money in it for them. Their their name goes down in medical history, and they get all sorts of grant money and uh, become very famous on it. So. You know, they're not going to be shy at publishing those papers and making a big song and dance about it. Yeah. But so, you know, when those papers don't exist, you know, there's something amiss. Yeah. And that's what we found in every case. Mm-hmm. Um, so as well as looking for diseases caused by viruses, we thought, well, I wonder if it's the same for sort of bacteria. And we, we found exactly the same. Uh, obviously, bacteria are living things. Uh, and do exist and that the human body is awash with them you know they're part of normal life and as we found they're not antagonistic to life they're supportive of life and in fact without them there would be no life um, we, we have them both in and on our body they they help with digestion they're part of the cleanup mechanism uh, in in the human body and of course this was the first mistake back in the early days when the medical establishment as it was and we're going back sort of roughly 150 years Mm -hmm. when they only had optical microscopes and 
when they looked into blood samples, they could see these things, which they realized were bacteria. But whenever, when they saw them in uh, the blood, they were clustered around any dead or dying tissue. Mm-hmm. So that was their first big mistake. They assumed that the bacteria was the cause of the dead and dying tissue rather than realizing it was actually cleaning up the dead and dying tissue so they could be uh, exited from the body. Um, and we often liken it to uh, blaming firemen for the cause of house fires just because whenever you see a house fire, there's a cluster of firemen around it. It's a, just a humorous way of looking at it. But that's the mistake they made. And uh, it sort of stuck with it, really, because at the same time, there was this burgeoning, uh, what came to be the pharmaceutical industry of today, of people selling things that will cure you of this, that and the other. So it was very convenient to be able to sell you something that's going to kill these bacteria. Yes, the money, the money started to uh, get into it. And it's, it's quite a story to see how the pharmaceutical industry developed through the Rockefeller uh, family. Yeah. which uh, probably people are well aware of. In fact, the Flexner so, report, that wasn't it? That's really what kind of yes. started it off. Yeah. Yes. yes, 1910, I think, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's important to make a, a distinction between bacteria and viruses that, uh, as David has said, you know, bacteria are li- are alive, they're mm-hmm. living, whereas the uh, what are called viruses are totally non, non-living particles. I mean, there is absolutely no evidence that there's anything, uh, that they have any kind of attributes that can be, uh, described as, uh, you know, makes them alive. Yeah. And originally they, uh, I mean, the word virus is from the Latin for poison. Yeah. So they were never thought of as being, um, organisms at all. I mean, they're, they're referred to as microorganisms, but they, they aren't because an organism is something that's alive. And it's, it's interesting to see how they're trying to, uh, or they have tried over the decades to change the definition of virus. Uh, originally, they were known to be non-living, non-living particles, absolutely inert. And now that definition is changing and changing very slowly that there was a, a certain stage where they were saying, oh, they're in a grey area between living and non-living. And, you know, and yes, exactly. So, um, but, uh, you know, we have to say these these particles that have been called viruses, uh, there's absolutely no evidence that they have any attributes that can describe them as alive at all in any way. So they are just non-living particles that um, <clears throat> for, uh, there's no evidence that they are anything other than just cellular debris because cells break up all the time in the body. And as they break up and they're... Um, into various parts to be uh, eliminated. I mean, cell, cells die all the time in the body. That's a normal process. It's a normal part of metabolism. And as the cells break up uh, into various different um, sort of particles, they're then eliminated out of the body. You know, that's that's normal. And so these particles are nothing other than cellular debris. We're, we often sort of, to help people get a, a mental image of it, we often refer to it as imagining that you dropped a, a pane of glass on the floor and the pane of glass representing a cell breaks up into dozens of pieces of different sizes and shapes mm-hmm. um, and then would normally be expelled from the body. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a new industry came along called virology uh, that started then to look at these broken up pieces yeah. and give them names and attributes. Yeah. Um, and we still have that today. 
But at no time have they been able to prove, actually prove scientifically, which is what they might say, that any of these broken up bits and pieces actually do cause anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and as Dawn has rightly said, you know, you, once a cell is broken up, which is a living thing, into these bits and pieces, um, these are not living things, they're just fragments. Mm-hmm. And, um, the virologists in their petri dishes, in their laboratories, uh, have sort of just give names and, uh, as I say, it, it's a myth. Yeah. And it was interesting, we've, I'm sure people have heard of Dr. Stefan Lanker, yeah. uh, the German doctor, who is a fully trained virologist in actual fact, although he, he doesn't like to be called a virologist anymore, because he realises it's just a, well, it's a, a fictitious, it's not a science at all, it's, it's just a phantom, you know, they're dealing with phantoms, you know, and artefacts. Uh, but there's a lot of money made in it, of course, and uh, it's uh, grist to the mill for the pharmaceutical industry who, who continue to make billions out of selling lotions and potions and vaccines to combat these <laughs> broken bits of cellular debris yeah. uh, and attributing all sorts of diseases to them. And, and it's uh, we're suffering from that, of course, today with the fictitious um, coronavirus, which... Again, we've looked for the papers. Many people have looked for the papers. They don't exist. There's quite a number of doctors who have looked for the papers. I'm sure people have heard of, like, Dr. Andy Kaufman, who's a friend of ours, Dr. Tom Cowan, um, and others, um, including Stefan Lanker. We were were talking to Stefan Lanker only about a week ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they know very well these particles are are not active. They're not... uh, harmful to the body they, they're just cellular debris and don't do anything yeah. uh, and yet we've got the whole mainstream media who know nothing really they're just script readers yeah. and the government who know little more really uh, their strings are being pulled obviously by people behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, and there is obviously some other agenda I mean we know because we've got copies of the papers that there are many people around the world um, that have written to their governments and health departments and under the Freedom of Information Act they've asked for uh, written proof uh, for the existence and proof that this coronavirus actually is the cause of this disease mm-hmm. and in every case and I'm talking dozens and dozens yeah. um, the governmental departments or health departments have written back and say we don't have that information which beggars belief, doesn't it? When yeah. they openly admit they don't have it, and yet they carry on yeah. uh, closing the world down as if they do have that information. All based on fear. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the worst things that's uh, happening at the moment. That they're um, they're creating so much fear, and uh, you know, people no longer uh, communicate with each other easily um, because they, you know, they have to keep separate and the masks and everything else. Um, but it's, it's um, that, that, well, I mean, we'll get to talk about, uh, you know, the actual causes. But, I mean, fear is certainly uh, having a negative impact on people's lives, but also on their health as well. Sorry, the... Fear is the currency of control. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, yes. That, that's what they're using. But the point is that people are being made to fear what they think is an invisible enemy, but in fact, it's a non-existent enemy. Well, it's it's something that doesn't exist. There is no um, thing called a virus that that can cause any kind of um, 
ill health at all, mm-hmm. let alone the so-called uh, devastating effects of you know killing people and stuff. It, it just isn't. It it just isn't but, happening. But of course, we know, um, and it's one of the four factors that we talk about in our book that lead that actually leads to what makes people ill, mm-hmm. and uh, prolonged stress is one of them. You know, it has physical physical effects, yeah. uh, not least of which is the placebo effect, you know, where people believe in something or they may even believe they've got an illness, mm-hmm. which uh, may be uh, starting off what normally they would have called a cold, mm-hmm. which actually is just a detox mechanism for the yeah. body, which we, we explain. It's, it's not a yeah. something caused by a virus, which the medical establishment would have you believe. It's purely yeah. detox. But of course, if they're detoxing for some reason, they then now think they've probably got the starts of, uh, you know, COVID-19. And then, of course, the placebo effect kicks in and they become worse and worse. And then that's aided and abetted, of course, by the medical establishment who uh, treat them as if they're some sort of leper and want to put them into isolation and possibly give them lots of very powerful antivirals, which drugs which will make will certainly make them ill or even put them on a ventilator. Yeah. which uh, is that's, extremely that's intrusive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at least uh, from what we've been told by doctors in the States, yeah. 80% of people that get put on ventilators die. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so intrusive. I mean, the people are under general anaesthetic, uh, which probably many people don't realize, you know, to, it's not just a bit of a pipe stuck up your nose. You know, you're under general anaesthetic with something stuffed down into your lungs. I mean, it's very intrusive and very traumatic for the body. Yeah. And most people die. Um, so it's, and that's, of course, can uh, wind up these uh, death figures that uh, the governments like to put out, most of which actually are fictitious, uh, and most of which are just um, anybody who dies of anything gets listed as COVID. And from talking to our doctor friends in the States, of course, there is a financial incentive in the States to to do exactly that. You know, the Medicare pays X amount of thousand dollars for every case that you list as COVID related, and it pays even more, something like thirty thousand dollars for every one that they put on a ventilator. You know, so huge sums of money being thrown at this, all of which um, is causing lots of fictitious uh, deaths and illnesses being attributed to COVID, none of which are. Uh, I mean, we've heard of cases, I mean, it's not so much as the financial incentives in the UK, but we have know of cases of people, well, one of the most striking, which was sort of last year, uh, people in the UK will know of the comedians uh, Little and Large, mm-hmm. uh, who used to be on the television quite a lot, and Eddie Large had suffered with a bad heart for at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, um, he went into hospital having a heart attack and died. And they put him down as uh, dying from uh, COVID, which infuriated. Yeah, and this is true. This is on the records, you know. And uh, his colleague, uh, the little part of it, I don't know what his first name is. Sid, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sid Little, uh, actually went public to say, you know, Eddie died of a heart attack, you know. And Eddie's family said so as well. But officially, they recorded him as dying from COVID. And that's the sort of thing that's going off. And... There's all sorts of stories like this, complete fiction, and shows, well, I mean, words start to fail you when you realise this is the establishment that are doing this. It's not some backstreet, you know, clinic 
this is the mainstream that are doing this and are going all out to lie to the public. Well, they're relying on something which is interesting, and it's something your book, I haven't read all of it, but I've read good chunks, but I actually use it now as a reference manual. I can just dive in and grab bits from it. But it's it's about if you put something outside of someone and say, right, that's what's making you see, they haven't got to take any responsibility for the fact that they've had a hand directly, indirectly, knowingly or unknowingly poisoning themselves, you know, in their thoughts and in their physicality as well, and that's what they're dealing with the results of, and nothing else. So if people would take responsibility for themselves and get more inner standing and knowledge about what's going on, they wouldn't get sick and they'd understand that the sickness is simply them cleansing the problem out because they're building a disease within themselves, every mouthful, every breath, everything they drink. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Yes, I mean, that's one of the key messages um, from the book that we try to help people um, realise uh, and appreciate is that um, you can take responsibility for your own health uh, by taking responsibility for everything you put on and in your body. Now, there are certain um, environmental uh, toxins, uh, substances, influences that you can't necessarily change. But if you can minimize or certainly um, reduce to to an absolute minimum, if not completely eliminate, the influences that you can do something about. I mean, if if you can take responsibility and um, for what you are putting on and in your body, then you can certainly make big differences uh, in your health. But as you say, it's it's your thoughts as well. Now, people may find that rather strange. to say, oh, you know, your thoughts influence your health. Um, but as we were saying before about the placebo effect, but it's uh, it's also the nocebo effect where um, people uh, people's thoughts can really influence them and their health to the point where they can even sort of, you know, die according to a diagnosis. I mean, it's it's a known uh, phenomenon. Uh, it's I think it's it's known within the medical establishment as medical hexing. You know, certain doctors give a prognosis. I mean, the, the patient says, oh, how long have I got, doctor? Um, and you can get a prognosis, oh, well, you know, maybe three months. And a number of people will absolutely take that um, believe it absolutely fully yeah. and can die according to that prognosis in mm-hmm. three months um, and sometimes it's been found that even on autopsy that their uh, condition was not actually or the pathology in their body was was not so significant that it would actually have led to their death yeah. now there are it, it's it's not all doom and gloom because there are people who've said ah, actually dr no I, I i don't think i'll accept your prognosis thank you very much and they they have the ability to change that particular mindset, those thought processes, and to then um, not just mentally, but they can take some other actions that change how they um, 
change what they do in their lives, change their lifestyles to a certain extent, and they can make uh, a big difference and go on to live for years despite the prognosis. So it's not necessarily that the prognosis means that's what happens, but it's how the patient actually responds, reacts, and, and thinks about it. And this, this can be quite a significant factor, which is why it's so relevant to what's going on now, that so many people have this fear and believe, you know, just the slightest snivel and cough oh, I've, I've got it, and then once they think they've got it, uh, it, it becomes part of them, and they can really uh, descend into the uh, worsening health, worsening um, health problems, and even could even lead to their death as well. So, you know, this is why people need to know there is nothing to fear here. You know, there is no virus to fear. I mean, the, the whole of our book, really, um, in a nutshell, shows that because when you think that the whole of the medical system is based on the germ theory okay and people forget that it is still called the germ theory i.e a theory is something that's not been proven and it certainly hasn't been proven but it the whole of the medical sorry it can't be proven exactly and the whole of the medical system rests on that and the whole of our book if you like 10 years of research going back over the last 150 years not that, not that that's how old Dawn and I are, of course. I hate to point out, but there is, we research the uh, we research materials and other doctors and scientists over the last 150 years, which is the sort of main uh, stay of the present medical system. And uh, you know, there there is no proof for it. There is absolutely no proof for it. And once you, it's like pulling the rug from under the whole medical system, uh, which is really what uh, our book does. You know, and that's not what we set out to do. We just set out to find the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the shocking thing. It, the truth was that the medical system is not based on science. It's based on dogma, mostly, and um, vested interests. And, of course, it's aided and abetted by a very profitable pharmaceutical industry, which, again, without the germ theory, their lotions and potions are completely meaningless. And even they have to admit there is nothing that they provide that cures anything. It, it just supposedly the best ameliorates any of the symptoms, um, but it can't cure anything. Well, that's not surprising. It can't cure something that doesn't exist. But what it can do is it can cause another problem, which means another pill, which means more profit, which means another problem, and on, you're on that spiral then. Exactly. Oh, yes, it's a so continuing it's, sort of, um, oh, it's a business model to make yeah. sure that people are, are not healthy because healthy people are customers of the industry and they want perpetual um, yeah. customers. But of course, I mean, so we, we looked at all the sort of known diseases to try and find out if there was anything any different and it wasn't the same story was uh, uh, true for everything we looked at, whether it was supposedly viral or bacterial. Mm -hmm. um, and we look back in history as well. We thought, well, let's let's uh, see if it's always been this way. And yeah. um, we, we're sort of, I think, fairly well known for saying that we went back and looked at the Black Death yeah. and uh, to see whether was that true. And uh, there was some very interesting information came out of that. Yeah. Um, when we looked at it, uh, we came across some work by uh, an Irish professor, Professor Mike Bailey, in an Irish university, and uh, he'd written a book called uh, New Light on the Black Death. Now, by profession, he's a dendrochronologist, 
which is somebody who studies tree rings, which uh, may sound a bit bizarre to people. But trees are very interesting things because um, they, some of them live to very old ages. I think the oldest one they've come across is about 5,000 years old and still living. So, and by looking at the tree rings, because long story short, by looking at the tree rings, you can tell what the Earth's atmosphere was like at any particular year. And he thought that's what he'd do. He'd have a look at what was going off around the time of the Black Death. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, put a long story short, what he found was that the Earth's atmosphere had become extremely polluted, very toxic. There was uh, very potent gases like uh, high levels of ammonia mm -hmm. and other toxic gases. Uh, which And he also then cross-checked it against ice core samples. Again, you can go back in uh, Earth's history a long way. And they correlated. So something had been going off in the Earth, uh, Earth's atmosphere, that had made it very toxic. So he then also looked at eyewitness accounts of people that were alive at the time. And the eyewitness accounts talked about the atmosphere becoming thick and stinking and choking. These were the sorts of words that were being used. And one of the most astounding things that I saw and quite revealing was that the eyewitness accounts were talking about the rivers and lakes uh, becoming polluted and the fish all floating to the surface dead. Well, obviously, that can tell you that's nothing to do with infected rat fleas, you know. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew there was something very strange going on. So kind of long story short, you know, that it looked from what Professor Bailey was finding that again at that time there was uh, around the world uh, um, a high rise in volcanic eruptions and earthquakes and whenever you get the earth opening up of course all sorts of toxic gases get released uh, and also strangely which may or may not have something to do with the eyewitness accounts talk about a comet coming close into the into the earth's atmosphere which uh, could also uh, sort of release pollutants as well so this is what we find is quite clearly uh, empirical evidence that the the Earth's atmosphere had become really poisonous and toxic, uh, enough to be able to, uh, people just dropping down dead in the street, you know, couldn't breathe properly, and what they did breathe was poisonous, which is a very far cry from uh, infected rat fleas going around biting everyone. And other people who've looked at it as well, because of the rapid spread of this supposed disease, uh, it had spread so quickly that it, it couldn't, the mechanisms were not there for if they calculated, you know, if it was fleas biting people and then the disease developing, it couldn't have moved as quickly as it did. So it had to be some other vector that was. And also in recent times, uh, archaeological digs in London um, were looking for what they would have found, um, examples of a high die-off of rats, because apparently the rats were supposed to die as well from these infected fleas. Mm -hmm. um, and those carcasses were, are not there. Mm -hmm. So there was no great rat die-off, and certainly eyewitness accounts at the time, there are no reports of rat die-offs, you know, with, and they should have been all over the place if uh, this was the case. So we can see it's a very different story, and nothing to do with a disease at all. Mm -hmm. People were being poisoned. Uh, quite literally being poisoned through what they were breathing or maybe even through the water they were drinking. Yeah. If it was killing the fish, it would certainly kill them. Yeah. So it, it was that sort of thing. So, And we also looked at um, animal diseases, some animal diseases, to see whether what we were finding out was true for animals too. Yeah. 
Um, and we found exactly the same. And one of the uh, best known ones in the UK that uh, we came across was, uh, because it was peculiar to the UK, was mad cow disease, uh, BSE. And uh, so we looked into that. And uh, again, we found the actual cause was nothing to do with a disease. It was to do with the government ministry, peculiar to the UK, insisted Surely not the, the government having its hand in something again. <laughs> yes, I know. I know it's shocking, isn't it? You know, because they're such good guys, but um, unfortunately not. And uh, they'd insisted in the UK that uh, all cattle were dipped in a, what turned out to be, as we looked at it, an organophosphate dip, mm -hmm. which was supposed to protect them, their hides against warble fly, which uh, sort of makes holes in the hide, and then the hide's not worth as much money when it's sold for leather. Okay, but what made it peculiar to the UK was that the concentration of organophosphate was four times what was used in any other country, and its toxicity, I mean, it's toxic anyway, but at four times the strength, that's, yeah, it's a neurotoxin, and that's what was actually giving the appearance of cows going mad because they were losing all control of their limbs and bodily functions mm -hmm. and they were being destroyed. And obviously thousands and thousands of uh, cattle were killed in the UK yeah. because of this. Yeah. Uh, but the real reason is really caused by the government ministry itself with their ridiculous uh, measures that they were imposing. Mm -hmm. Now, we came across a guy, a farmer, who's, uh, Don will tell me what his name is because I always forget. Mark Purdy. Mark Purdy <laughs> uh, in the UK who had a pedigree herd of cattle and he fought the ministry to because he was not going to have his cows dipped in this uh, toxin. Mm. And uh, he did go to court a few times but he won his battles and uh, he never had to dip his cattle. And consequently, none of his cattle ever got mad cow disease. So... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, again, another little adage to show that uh, it was nothing to do with some disease floating around that was uh, attacking cattle, uh, and, and so on. And we looked at myxomatosis in rabbits and things like that. So it, it didn't matter where we looked, whether it was in humans or animals, mm -hmm. nowhere was there any scientific evidence that, the, that there was some rampant disease, either bacterial or viral, but lots of evidence to show quite sensible and easily provable reasons as to why either people or animals got ill. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, probably now's a good time to say that we, we found all illnesses were boiled down to what we call our four factors. Mm -hmm. And that, that's um, lack of nutrition, and we can talk a bit more about proper nutrition. So here we're not talking about the amount of food you eat, but the nutritional value of that food. Uh, toxic intake, um, that's as Dawn had said earlier, what you put in and on your skin. Mm -hmm. um, EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies, uh, which affect the body's electrical system, and we can talk more about that. And then finally, uh, prolonged emotional stress. Mm -hmm. And those four factors, either one or more of those four factors, we always found were the real cause of what was ailing people or animals for that matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in no cases did we ever find that there was a pathogen, uh, a, a pathogenic agent um, to blame. So <clears throat> obviously we explain all these things in much more depth in our book, and, that, and that's why it's nearly eight, 800 pages. Yeah. Um, but uh, it gives people confidence that it turns on its head 
everything certainly we've been taught, and that's why the subtitle of the book is Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease is Wrong, because that's what we found out for ourselves, yeah. and it's true for everyone else. Everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong, yeah. and the book clearly shows that. And we, we've got 14 pages of uh, citations from scientific work by other doctors and scientists over the decades. Um, you know, it's not just something we've made up. Um, the evidence is there, so people can check out our work. Um, and we were very, very careful about this, and that's why it took 10 years of cross-referencing everything as much as we could, to, because it was such a, a mind-blowing thing to come across. We found also that the germ theory is not just relevant to the medical establishment system, but it has uh, uh, consequences in other aspects of life because um, uh, certain foods are, um, well, processed foods mainly, are um, have preservatives added to them because, uh, yeah, to protect them from so-called uh, bacterial decomposition and those kinds of things. So. It's, as I say, it's not just uh, within medicine that uh, that the germ theory has uh, holds sway. It's within a, a lot of other aspects. Um, and certainly, like now, um, okay, that's a medical system, but the uh, everyone's washing their hands. Well, not everyone. Some not people me. are not. No, no, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I, I, I. Yes, yes, I. I yeah. yeah, not everyone. Uh, a lot of people are washing their hands to protect them, protect themselves um, in this sort of well, sanit hand sanitizers. Um, but interestingly enough, I believe they're antibacterial, um, which is nothing. I said to that do to a guy in the shop. I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "I'm buying this to stop the problem." And I went, "All right." Do you know there's a difference between viruses and bacteria? And he went, "Yeah." I said, "What does it say on the label?" And he said, "Antibacterial." And I said, "Yeah." What does that tell you? And he said, "I need to go get some more." And I stood there. Aghast. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly, and, and and that's one of the problems that people don't yeah. understand yeah. enough. I mean, uh, antibiotics uh, are used. Um, well, they're used in animals as well as humans, but I mean they're overused. Um, but they are said to be only for bacteria, bacterial diseases. Antibiotics are supposed to not work for viral diseases. Um, so if this is supposed to be a viral disease, why are people using antibacterial hand sanitizers? But it's not, uh, again, it's not just to, as I say, to do with health. But, I mean, there are a lot of um, antibacterial <clears throat> products. I mean, um, <laughs> surprisingly, socks, for example, is almost, you know, is almost impossible to get socks that aren't antibacterial. Uh, well, uh, on the basis that it's the bacteria that makes your feet sweat and smell it just it's just completely wrong um so all of these products you know it's it's great for the chemical industry and the um you know the, the products industries um but it's not just about health i mean this this problem um permeates quite a lot of uh, aspects of life and and a lot of things it's not just the pharmaceutical industry that would uh, have the rug pulled from under it it's quite a lot of the chemical um, oh, yeah. industry and the products that they make all designed to um, stop the spread of germs but there aren't any germs it's toxins that we need to be worrying about That's exactly, you know I, I haven't seen a doctor in 30 years which is the last time i was sick wow yes yeah well that's, i haven't taken that's... a pill in 30 years i, I won't go near anything I, I refuse to because i understand how it works and what goes on yes yeah and that's the point, once people understand, um, but they do have to take responsibility for themselves. And I think I think there are a lot of people who are 
uh, going, uh, uncomfortable with that idea because <laughs> it means they'll have to make changes. Yes, oh, 100%. Yeah, that, that, that really is the key. They can't keep throwing toxins in their face and on their skin and just say, well, I just want a pill to make me feel better. It, it's, yeah. just, it's not the way. And, it it and doesn't health, work. And health is, as we say uh, in the book and when we talk to people, you know, natural health is very simple. You know, they're, they're not complex rules. You know, I mean, uh, that's the natural state for human beings is to be healthy. And, and all you've got to do is, well, as we boil it down to just four factors, you know, uh, and in particular to make sure that you eat nutritious food. Uh, we do warn people against uh, processed food because of all the toxins and additives and colorings and preservatives that are in uh, that sort of food. Um, and the household products. I mean, we, we list in the book, as many as we can, the various areas where you can be, your body can be assaulted, if you like, yeah. by toxins. It's um, not to scare people, it's to provide them with the information. It's, so that it's knowledge taken... and information, that's the key. Yes, yes. yes. And, uh, you know, it, it's in the things they wash themselves with, uh, they clean their floors with, it's, there's some quite nasty uh Toxic materials in these things. Or even shampoo uh, or toothpaste. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And and people can change, you know, there are alternatives. Um, and, you know, reducing that body burden of toxins, yeah. as you rightly say, and if you know yourself and we know, you can stay healthy. You know, you don't have these detox mechanisms of what people think of as a cold or influenza, even. You know, again, that's just a more severe detox uh, system. It's quite natural for the body to do it if the toxic load in your body is built up to such a state that the body can't eliminate it in just a normal way of uh, excretion, urination, sweating, uh, the, uh, or even, even extreme uh, cases of vomiting or diarrhea. These are all means that natural means that the body uses to eliminate toxins. Not bacteria. Uh, yes, I mean, so many. <laughs> yes, the, the, the thing is of food poisoning. It's a yeah. food poisoning, um, but it's called by, caused by bacteria. Uh, no, the clue is in the title. It's called food poisoning for a reason. There's something that the body recognises as toxic. It doesn't mean that the, the food has been poisoned deliberately. It just means there's something in, the, in that food that the body has reacted to and says, get it out and yeah. so it finds the quickest way to do so and if you let it run its course it runs it completely but when you smother the symptoms and suppress everything it stays in the system and there's more problems correct oh yes yes and you get a build up towards chronic health yes. problems yes i mean that's one of the big um things to to help educate people not to take something to suppress symptoms you know every time there's a you know you get a fever we've got to bring the fever down inflammation oh you've got to take anti-inflammatories mm -hmm. no it, i mean even inflammation is is a process of the body to uh, a protective mechanism mm -hmm. because it helps to uh, increase the supply of blood and also um, repair materials so yeah. that healing can take place uh, more quickly within an area that's been um, damaged in some way, and that's why it becomes inflamed. Well, it's because, sorry, you yeah. were talking about nutrition before. I think it's important to point out that the yeah. body's ability to heal is determined by its ability to create new cells that actually work, and mm -hmm. that requires yes. nutrition. Raw yes. materials. Yeah. If you haven't got all the raw materials, you can't make a chocolate cake if you have no eggs, flour, and milk. 
it, it yeah. doesn't work. But what people do is say, well, I'm, I'm just, I'll do this. No, you've got to get all the raw materials. And as you say, the inflammation opens the trucking system, which is the blood, to bring the raw materials in so that it's then got the raw materials. Yes. Yeah. But the body needs more raw materials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and food is, is one of the best, well, one of the most important. I mean, we, we recommend to people, again, it's nothing fancy or expensive. Um, I mean, we do recommend uh, a plant-based diet yeah. um, as much as possible. We do recommend where you can eat raw things because there's more nutrition, you know. Yeah. I mean, people would eat fruit in its natural state anyway. Yeah. You know, green leafy vegetables. So fruit and vegetables are the best way. I mean, uh, both Dawn and I are actually vegans, but uh, before that we were veg vegetarians for many, many years. You know, I, I was vegan for 25 years and now I do have eggs from the local farm and occasionally I'll have some raw milk. Right, okay. Um, but these are nutritious foods yes. that um, people, and organic, if people can buy organic as much as they can, uh, and the only reason we say that is that uh, because of the sort of factory farming methods, if you buy organically produced food, you're less likely to have it sprayed with chemicals, you know, pesticides, herbicides, whatever, and that it's grown in healthy soil because so much soil now is depleted of uh, natural minerals and nutrients um, because the plants are growing in basically chemical fertilizers. You know, so they could look pretty good, but they'd be deficient in some of the nutrients which they need to pass on and to you. And also the bacteria that are there to do its job. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Need need good, good healthy soil. Yeah. And, um, I know some people uh, may choose to grow their own. So yeah. uh, the, the organic aspect of that, if they know how to have a... Uh, create a healthy soil mm -hmm. and they're growing their own food they don't need to necessarily worry about the organic yeah. part of that as long as they're not putting lots of toxic chemicals um, yeah. in that soil or on the plants to, to grow them because it just isn't necessary they'll they'll do very well i think, I think um, what's becoming apparent from this discussion as well is that it's not the whole medical industry it seems to me wants to separate if you have a problem say in your arm they then treat you as the arm they don't treat you as the whole thing and yes. what you're saying quite correctly is that the, the entire systems, everything work and they're in, interconnected. So nutrition is interconnected with the, the EMFs. It's interconnected with the other forms of toxicity. It's interconnected with stress. Everything ties together and everyone needs to start looking at the whole in order to get a better understanding of how this whole fits together. And actually, it works as a piece of machinery, if you will, because that's what it is. Well, it, it's a, we try to get people to think of the body as a, a self-regulating self-healing organism uh, where all of it is it's an integrated system and contrary to what the medical establishment would have us believe that they can target with a magic bullet a drug of some sort bullet you know, right. <laughs> yeah. target just one specific bit of the body well you know it's, a, it's an integrated system you know you put something into the bloodstream it goes everywhere and affects everything uh, so there's no such thing. They don't. There's no such thing as their magic bullets, which the uh, media like to talk about. As I say, they uh, they, I think for the most part, unknowingly lie to the public all the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the people who run the media they know very well that they're lying. But the script writers, you know, the talking heads you get on the mm -hmm. daily news, well, daily propaganda, mm 
um, they, they have no idea. They're just reading a script. You know, they're the script readers. They don't know what they're talking about. But of course, the public believe them. You know, if it's come off the BBC or CNN or something, they think, oh, well, that's the truth. You know, why would they lie to us? I mean, we, we've had this. People say, well, why would they lie to us? Why would the government not tell us the truth? Why would the <laughs> um, Well, where, where do we start with you, my friends? You know, where do we start with you? Um, it's a long process uh, to find out the truth, but uh, for some of us, you know, like yourself, who've been looking at this for years and years, right. you realise uh, just how much people are lied to by the mainstream. Uh, okay. <laughs> Looks like we may have lost the network. And at that point, we lost the connection with Skype, and we rejoined the conversation a few minutes later once we get everything settled down again. That's, yeah, that's excellent. Really Thank much you. appreciated. Thank right. you. Thank you very much. I mean, this is this is what uh, building a community is all about, isn't it? Because exactly. uh, heaven knows we really need it because uh, the mainstream community is no. well useless. You know, it's uh, destructive. So. Well, it's there for a reason, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where okay. were we? We were talking stress, health, the entire system. One of the things I would like to cover, yes. actually, um, is, is, is research. You know, we talked about confirmation bias yes. before we started everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the real challenges that people face is because they're, the, the mainstream do it. The, the medical profession are terribly guilty of this. They come up with an idea and then they go looking for the evidence to support it instead of doing proper research, which is, what am I looking at? And let's see if we can then confirm it with other sources. I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about how you've gone about that, because 10 years is a long time to work on a project. Yeah, it is, and uh, much more that we never expected it to. Well, we didn't put a time scale on it, and um, we, you know, we. I mean, because Dawn and I, as it went on and on, um, I, I just said, look, this this is so important that we get this right that it it'll take as long as it takes, you know, because we wanted to go down because it was so alien to us so totally different to everything we'd been told mm -hmm. and the implications of it were so far-reaching um, and because we knew of terminology that we came across such as iatrogenesis which basically translates as death by modern medicine really yeah. <laughs> uh, where you know in the states alone 250,000 people a year die from this yeah. and this is uh, this is the fact where People are taking the prescription medicine that they're given by their physician yeah. and it's killing them. Basically, that's what it is. Uh, you know, when there's these huge numbers of people dying, which never gets reported, you think this is what, what, what on earth is happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not just peculiar to America. It's, it happens in every country that's practicing Western medicine, Western style medicine and using the petrochemical industries products because that's what pharmaceutical products are they're all based on petrochemicals yeah. uh, so there's a an unholy union between the petrochemical industries and the pharmaceutical industries and uh, they're self-serving for one another and uh, poisoning the world um, so all of these things were very shocking to us and uh, we wanted to make sure that we were absolutely right by what we were finding so that's really one of the reasons it took so long we agonized over it to look in as many sources as we could to make sure there was lots of supportive evidence i mean that was one of the fortunate things of both dawn and my background uh, mine in engineering dawn's in accountancy 
is that we were used to looking at finite detail and we were used to making sure as we sort of said earlier electrically if you get something wrong something blows up or somebody gets electrocuted so you have to be right there's no second chance you have to be right it's not quite so dangerous in accountancy but <laughs> no, uh, yeah i mean but uh, you know you've got to get the books right the numbers have got to make sense yes and so we're used to working with detail and we're used to making sure things are right and we found that set us in good stead to come up against this wall of contradictions that we came up against uh, with what the medical establishment was saying and what the science was saying and I, and I do mean the true science because we soon found out that there was a lot of vested interest not only just in the medical system uh, but also the science there's lots of what came to be known as gatekeepers yeah. you know Fine, and these are like all Scientism, absolutely, yes. yes. I mean, it's, uh, this was, it's becoming more uh, widely used but, or widely recognised. Um, even though it's called science, it's scientism. Um, so, yes, it's uh, it, there's a big difference. I mean, real science is completely open. It's a process of inquiry into uh, the nature of something. So it starts with the question, what is this? You know, maybe it starts with an observation. Starts with an observation, and then it's you know what is it that we look? What is is what is this observation? What does it mean? Instead of starting with an assumption, which is absolutely at the core of virology, um, you know, because you, all you have to do is look at any paper that is uh, discussing any particular disease, and it says this disease is caused by X Y Z virus bacterium or whatever. You know, the statement is made at the beginning. It's not an inquiry into the nature of the disease. It starts with an assumption. Um, and these are the kinds of uh, things that we were finding that made us realize that um, it's not true science. It's not an inquiry into what is this disease? Can we learn more about it? It's only can we find out more about the so-called pathogen that is supposed to cause this disease? And we found this when we talked to doctors about their, their education as doctors. And um, <clears throat> it soon became apparent, you know, that, uh, again, they were... They were trapped into this um, self-fulfilling prophecies, you know, that, that it was just dogma. They were told, exactly as Dawn said, you know, this bacteria causes that disease, this virus causes that disease, and this is the treatment, you know. It's almost learning by rote. You know, they didn't do any original research. They were not allowed to say, well, how do you know that virus causes that disease? Where is the research paper? They weren't allowed, not if you wanted to pass your exams, you know. Uh, and, of course, they as again talking to the doctors you know they're heavily invested financially in their training and so they come out of medical school with quite a large bill um like people coming out of university which so they've got to stay in a job and they've got to pay that back and uh, and of course they get well rewarded for their job as a doctor so it's the golden handcuffs so it's a very brave doctor who will come out and say I've looked at this, and actually, in actual fact, the medical system is um, not based on science at all. It's based on dogma and fear and assumptions. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they soon lose their job yeah. and um, all that goes with it. So we found there was lots of gatekeepers, lots of vested interests. Uh, but because we had no vested interest in not being doctors, we could ask the questions, no matter how foolish they might think those questions were. And we could keep pressing until we got a sensible answer until we could see that that was backed up by actual scientific evidence and from multiple sources and that and that's why the books that took so long to put together because we knew that when we released this book it would be so 
controversial mm-hmm. to the mainstream. Um, I mean, people said you'll never get it published, you know, and they're surprised that, that it's been, I mean, we only published it uh, Christmas of 2019, so it's just been over a year. Hmm. And uh, people are surprised that uh, we, it's still on the market, you know, that it's not got taken down. And I think the only godsend on that, if you want to say it, is that at the time we published it, no one had heard of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't it didn't work, reach the world stage until sort of the early part of 2020. Yeah. So our book doesn't mention it, but it doesn't invalidate anything we say because everything we say about viruses, there has never, ever been a virus proved to cause any disease because these particles are not living things. They're just cellular debris. Mm-hmm. And, and that is as true today as it was when we started writing it over 10 years ago. And it's as true today as it was 150 years ago. When they first well, that's one of the interesting looking. things about truth, isn't it? it it's yeah. immortal, if you will. It doesn't change. Yeah. Yes. Now, knowledge yeah. and information and, and your journey to the truth can change. I, I've written a book about health. Primarily, it's just notes to myself as I help people you know, my mum died of cancer and then uh, my girlfriend got cancer and I decided I wouldn't lose another person close to me for that. And so I just quit doing everything and dived into it. And I found out that if you ask enough questions and you ask them and you keep at them, you can get the answers pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, what I found with that is I, I, it's just an ebook because I keep learning new stuff. So when I came across yours, I incorporated some of your ideas within that and also referred to your book in there. Um, I've also with Dr. Jerry Tennant with Voltages Healing, which is really interesting as well. I'm starting to rewrite some of the bits. So you can, you can expand on the truth and the knowledge as the information keeps coming in. But the truth itself never changes. Exactly. No, no, exactly. 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 The, um, uh, yes, I mean, the, the important thing is, as far as our research was, that we, we tried where possible to, uh, to get multiple sources. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, certain aspects, uh, like as we were talking about with the BSE, um, you know, it was fairly clear through Mark Purdy's work that um, that the uh, organophosphate uh, wash was certainly uh, the culprit. And um, it, so we didn't necessarily look for other sources. Mm-hmm. But, the, uh, but the information that he provided fitted with the rest of the information. So it, it was like another jigsaw piece in the puzzle that helped to clear the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, the with the BSC, I mean, it's supposed to have been caused by a prion, which is something different from a virus or a bacterium. So that's why we had to look into that, because mm-hmm. it's a, another so-called infectious um, particle. But, of course, it isn't. It's just uh, it's, it's actually something that they refer to as a misfolded protein. Uh, again, it's you know I, um, not necessarily to go into the detail, but because it was something with a slightly different label, we had to certainly had to look into that, and we did find some other f- information from other people on that that supported the idea. Um, so it's where possible, we try to look at multiple sources, not always possible, and to try and just gather the information that helped to support. Um, you know we. we if you like, we had a sort of a hypothesis that we were working towards that, you know, with our four factors and we kept testing it. I mean, as in true science, as we were saying with science, you know, you keep testing your hypothesis to see if it's got any cracks, shall we say, you know, any any parts that were missing. And that's why we looked at animal diseases as well as human diseases and not just infectious diseases, chronic diseases as well. And to see, I mean, obviously they're not uh, claimed to be caused by uh, germs of any kind, but but they're still 
that the medical establishment puts out a certain idea of what they're caused by and, uh, well, supposed to be caused by and, and how they progress and how you can sort of uh, treat them. Uh, so, but we kept testing our hypothesis to see where there were any holes, if there was any information missing. And that, that's why it took so long, as David said. You know, we kept looking at as many sources as possible to try and get as clear a picture as possible to put the information out because we knew it would be challenging and we knew people would ask us, yes, but what about, but what about? And so they're the questions that we asked ourselves and each other to say, well, if it works for this one, yes, but, you know, as David said, you know, how does it work for animals? Oh, actually, we'd better have a look at that. Um, so, you know, we well, kept challenging because, ourselves to, because to get of a the complete picture. Because of the importance of it, mm. as much as anything, mm. um, we, we wanted to, it to be right mm. uh, because we didn't want to deceive people. Mm. And we Definitely. genuinely believe. And uh, now that more doctors have come out of the woodwork and, uh, and we've talked to most of them, if not all of them, that are now agreeing with what we say mm -hmm. and the two of the most uh, prominent ones we know that they've got our book and uh, uh, praised it and uh, even recommended it to to others yeah. uh, which is you know that helps us uh, and uh, it helps us know that uh, what we've said is absolutely right that it is backed up by science and uh, other scientists and doctors people yeah. from the medical establishment who are honest enough and have done the research themselves, mm -hmm. uh, completely support what we've said. So that gives us a very warm feeling that we're, that we're right mm -hmm. and that it can really help people to uh, yeah. take charge of their own health and to, to live a, a, a healthy life yeah. uh, without recourse to taking lots of, or any drugs for that matter. Yeah. You know, they just don't need to do that. Yeah, I think one of the well, one other important thing I've, I've taken from this as well is you've torn apart the medical model effectively with the information that you've come across you're not medically trained you just know how to go looking for information and how to test it against an idea to make sure it fits and then to modify things as you see fit and that's encouraging because that means that other people with inquiring minds should also be able to make sense of stuff and like i said to someone the other day you know i've got a reasonably bright mind as well if i look at something and it's nonsensical it's because it's meant to be trying to deceive me that's all so we need to come at it from a different angle until we can make sense of it. And, and everyone just watching this video can do that. I would highly recommend reading that book as well. It's a big read. Reading it in sections is a really good way of doing it. Or like I've been doing, I refer back to it. Someone asks me a question, I think I'll check there first, then I can go off and do my research for it. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, because our book is also available as a Kindle version, mm -hmm. um, and uh, of course, once you've got it on the computer as a Kindle version, uh, you can search it, you know, so you can put in keywords. So it's it's great. It's great for that, you know, when you want to uh, search it. I mean, the the contents pages. There's quite a few of them, as I'm sure you can see. But of course, it's it can't give you the detail that you can when you search it on Kindle. So um, nicely, we find people get both. You know, people like to buy a book because they like a book. Um, and particularly, you know, people like us who are sort of old-fashioned. You know, you like a book. Um, but the Kindle version is very useful for research because you can put in any word you like, you know, because we often get asked about STDs, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, mm -hmm. and uh, we get asked about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice and easy for people to just put in STD and, mm -hmm. you know, all the information will come up. Yeah. 
Yes, I know some people have uh, said, you know, why isn't there an index? Um, but we were somewhat restricted by the uh, page number, by the number of pages we could include. <laughs> the index can be bigger than the book. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yes, to, to have had a, you know, a, uh, an appropriate index, you know, that would have been useful for people, uh, as you say, would, 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 would have taken far too many pages. We, we felt that it was more important to put reference sources. So there's, I don't know, almost 40 pages of references um, listed by chapters. So within each chapter, um, you know, you can go back to the uh, reference section and have a look at all the uh, sources there. And, and that that gives people more information to look into to dive dive further. I mean, when we had our when we were sort of putting it together, I mean, we had we often said to each other, you know, we could have written a book on each particular chapter, you know, so that could have been a series of ten books, but you know that that would have been too much. We wanted one book that was comprehensive that gives people enough of a picture to understand what health is really about and why. Um, why, well, why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong, and yeah. you know to justify that particular uh, subtitle, mm-hmm. and but to give people the information so that they can make truly informed decisions. Mm-hmm. It's not to tell people what to do, but it's provide them the information, provide them with the information, mm-hmm. and then they can sort of look at it, go deeper if they want to, but at least take responsibility yeah. for their own health. And to realise that they can be healthy. Health is natural. Yeah. It doesn't rely on lotions and potions. You know. In fact, lotions you, and potions quite often are part of the problem. Yes, uh, yes exactly. And as, you exactly. Said, and as you said earlier, you know, once they start themselves on that track, one potion leads to another potion, to another potion, and you know, you end up with a, a pharmacy in your bathroom cabinet. You know, and. Uh, so many people that actually happens to, and it's totally unnecessary. Well, I, I noticed something. I, I started intermittent fasting over a year ago, and I've always been good about trying to detoxify myself. Um, and then I started drinking distilled water back in probably three months ago, and I drink now about five or six liters a day. Um, and I never used to drink that much water anyway, but I just really like the water. But it's interesting. What I've found is that as I as I go through that process, the elimination of and I shouldn't have that much toxins in me because I, I went vegan what, nearly 30 years ago and I'm careful about what I eat. But even as recently as just a month back, getting rid of stuff that smells of petrol and chemicals and oils and weird things coming out of my skin even now. So it shows you just how polluted we become just by mm. being exposed to living, even when you're yeah. careful. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's, and, it's and interesting what, that you've yeah, mentioned the point about water because that's something we talk about in the book and uh, the importance, particularly in the UK, I guess it's the same worldwide, because the water that comes out of your tap is far from clean. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, uh, they add chemicals, you know, I mean, chlorine, uh, fluoride, and even ammonia now they've started adding around our area. I don't know how widespread it is. And that's all the other stuff that's in there, you know, yeah. at the uh, uh, filtration stations, you know, they don't get everything out there anyway. So there's pharmaceutical products in there. So really, we recommend to people to have either a dist- little distiller or a reverse osmosis system. Yeah. You know, um, it's worth the initial outlay. So at least you can be drinking clean water. You're not continuously poisoning yourself. And that, that, to me, makes that has been the single biggest impact on my health because we're primarily water, yeah, yes. water, if you will. 
So once you start to get really good quality clean water in and it's got a strong negative charge with the distilled water that does, it can then start to pull out the junk which has been placed in your body for safekeeping wherever it can place it because it's unable to get rid of it. So I've noticed you know, lumps under my skin, under one of my armpits, I had a lump for years. It had got smaller over the years, but it's still been there. It was about the size of a lime. Within a month of drinking the distilled water, it's gone. And yet it's been yeah. there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. My eyesight's yeah. improving. There's, there's all sorts. That, that, and I think one of the things I mentioned about your book as well, which I've covered yet, it's not a technical read for people. It's written in very simple, clear, easy to understand language. And I wouldn't let anyone be put off by the size of it. It's there because it's got a lot of information. Yeah. But it, it, people really should get into it, I think. We work thank very, you. thank you for that. We, because we work very hard to keep the jargon out of it. You know, I mean, we had to slave over all sorts of technical papers and technical books. And uh, so it's basically, we did the work so you don't have to as the reader. And we've really tried hard to keep the jargon out of it. And uh, from the feedback, from, like from yourself and from the amount of people that write to us from around the world, we feel we've been successful in making it. It's a big read, as you say. But it's you can read it. It's understandable to the general reader. We've not dumbed it down, but we've made it as easy to understand as we possibly can. So um, that in itself was uh, took quite a lot of work to do that. I can imagine it's enormous. As I look at medical papers and scientific papers, and I do a lot on common law and stuff. And sorry, one sec. I didn't okay, okay. For that to happen, someone rang me and it changed all my screens. <laughs> How do I get back here then? One sec. Um, I'm saying to get rid of that. Yeah, so I, I read a lot of technical stuff too, and I look at it sometimes and think, why do you have to make this so complex? Why can't you just say it in nice, clean, simple, easy to understand language? So I've got to sit here with a map and a piece of paper trying to figure out what you're actually talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, so you, you've done a great book. We, we could probably talk for hours, but I'm, I'm going to be very respectful of your time. I'll put a link to the book um, in the video. Um, as I said, also, I'll, I'll edit something together and send you a copy across that you can place that. Is there anything that you'd like to finish off with and tell people? I would recommend anyone, if you've not read this book, get it. You know, the Kindle version in particular is great because it's searchable, but I would maybe think about the paper version because uh, devices might not always work. Exactly. Well, yes, there and is a, that. <laughs> and there is, a, there is always the worry that um, electronic versions of anything, particularly as some years ago, Google was putting it out that they wanted to try and make all books electronic. Now, being Google and wanting to do something like that, I'm immediately suspicious because electronic things can always be altered. Um, You can see that from things like Wikipedia, you know, where, you know, your view of reality starts to be manipulated. So, uh, you know, (laughs) so having a good hard copy of something and keeping it uh, is always a good recommendation. So, uh, yeah, but useful as Kindle versions are, yeah, grab a a hard copy because you you can't guarantee what uh, an electronic version might be in years to come. Um, So, yeah, people can go to our site at uh, reallymakesyouill.com. Uh, there's quite a bit of information on there. We, we put up articles uh, every now and again that people can read for free. And of course, our videos, uh, interviews go up there so people can listen to us if they wish. <laughs> um, Watch and listen. Sometimes uh, audio, sometimes videos. Yeah, so some, sometimes they're just, they're just podcasts. Yeah. Well, this, this uh, one should be interesting because what people won't realise is when they watch this, we had all sorts of technical issues several times, but I think we've got there in the end. 
Okay, well, yeah. we'll rely on your expertise to stitch it all together. And, um, <laughs> Hold off. <laughs> uh, and, and thank you for, for giving us the time to, to come on. And, well, uh, likewise, talk to I you. really appreciate it. So, uh, okay, well, I guess we'll leave it at that for now, and uh, maybe we get to chat again sometime in the not-too-distant future. I would be delighted, and stay well, both of you, and keep doing what you do. The world needs you both. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. You too. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Adrian. Yeah, thank you. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Bye.